Good Sunday morning. This is Mike Sarig, the voice of Vital Ministries, and it's good to be with you on your Sunday. I hope as you're traveling today that you're watching out for the roadways, making sure that things are safe as you travel today. We just want to thank you for being part of Vital Ministries this morning. We go to vitalministries.org and you check out our website. we got a lot of cool things that are going on you don't want to miss out on. It tells you about all of our upcoming events, also to our our devotional page, and all the other things that go along with Vital Ministries. So you don't want to miss out on that and just check us out. So with that being said, drive safe today. Also, too, maybe some of you are on your way to church this morning. Just make sure that, you, again, you're traveling safe. Thank you for being with us this morning and looking forward to the expectation of what God has for you as you head out to your church and celebration and also to in worship and hearing the Word of God. What a great time. Also, too, those of you who are home listening this morning, we just want to thank you for being part of Vital Ministries and uh, just making this part of your day. So many people just come up to me and just share with me, Mike, this is my Sunday, and man, do I ever appreciate that, because you you just don't know who's listening, and I just want to tell you thank you for being so faithful and listening. There's so many people up in that area where I live, up, up uh, next to New Sharon in that area, and just a lot of people listen. I just want to thank you for being a part of our sun, of your Sunday morning. But with that being said, we're going to jump in this morning. But we got a few things I want you to just bring to your attention. March 4th is our next Warrior Breakfast. Now, you don't want to miss out on that because it, it is on Saturday morning, March 4th, at the Lighthouse Church in New Sharon. We start at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 to 9. It's for men. We are praying that God sends us 75 men this this uh, this coming Saturday. What a great time. We'll have uh, plenty of food. Also, too, we will have, I will give a word. And again, it starts at eight, eight from 8 to 9. It's just a good time for men. I just encourage you. And I always tell people this. Make sure, men, you can bring your sons. Also, too, bring a friend. What a great time because a lot of times you may not always be able to get somebody to go to church with you, but you can get them to come to breakfast. And it's a great opportunity at what I call evangelism. And also, too, uh, just bringing other men to come to know Christ. And what a great time of that because you, ch you change the man, you change the family. And that's what's exciting about, I think, with men's ministry. Also, too, we send out devotionals five days a week for both Vital Life and Vital Men. Vital Life goes for everybody, anybody. The, a devotional, my wife is the writer for that. It's um, very short, very, very much on task. You don't want to miss out on that. She writes some really good stuff. Also, too, we send out five, uh, five days a week for Vital Men, the devotionals. And it's just some good stuff. It's just centered and focused on men. And man, do we ever need that today as men to have centered, focused about following Jesus Christ. But this morning, let's jump in because we're on this teaching series on follow me, living a life of discipleship. But this morning, we're going to look at this, what it means to be living the crucified life. Last week, we began our, our series on the discipleship, looking at the prerequisite of being a disciple of Christ. That's being a disciple has a price to it and living a changed lifestyle, being set apart from the world itself. We discussed that in great detail last week. The disciples that follow Jesus, the chosen ones, I believe had no idea of what they were signing up for. Yet when they met Jesus and he asked them to follow him, they dropped everything, including their careers, to follow the rabbi. There was something about Jesus that they trusted and believed in. For some people today, they would say that Jesus had what they would call the it factor. Or you could call it charisma. Originally, the word charisma meant grace or taken from God. Later, it became the gift of leadership, power of authority, or charm that can inspire, influence, and motivate others. 
Some believe in charisma is elusive or exclusive to a person. Either we are blessed with it from birth or we've been we've been born to be what they call bland. So what does the Bible say about Jesus? This is what we know. Coming out of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 says this, he had no beauty, no or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. All this says is that Jesus was basically an ordinary man who lived his life on earth. That's what it's showing. That's what it says as far as his external looks. But matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah would be would also have called him the suffering servant. From that we, we can gather that basically Jesus looked ordinary, much simply like us. It says in the world's eyes, Jesus was ordinary. But in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to go there this morning because that's some really good stuff. I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. And it tells us a different story about Jesus. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from the east of the Jordan River. Man, that is a lot of folks, and that is a lot of area without a doubt. So, it was great. So, what was it about Jesus that made people follow him? This is what we've learned that we just read from Scripture. It was the great miracles he did, healing people who had deformities and illness, the lame walked, the blind could see, cast out demons, helped the epileptic, made water into wine. But most of all, he brought the good news of the gospel. He brought hope for those who were lost, and he also too helped those who were lost to forgive them their sins. As I look at this and his ministry, the it factor was what he did for people. He loved on them right where they lived. That created the crowds in which the disciples saw that Jesus could be the Messiah that was prophesied back in the Old Testament. It wouldn't be until Jesus' crucifixion, his coming out of the grave and his ascension, that they began to understand what it truly meant to live a crucified life. Only John, the beloved disciple, would not see a horrific death as being a disciple for Jesus himself. And all these examples of who Jesus is gives us a glimpse of what it means to be a disciple today. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, it says this, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. With that being said, what does that mean for us today? How do we live the crucified life? I hope this morning we get a better understanding of what it means to be a true disciple and to be a follower of Christ and understanding the crucified life. So if you're home, you're writing down points. This is point number one. The misunderstanding of the meaning of bearing the cross. It says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says this to his men, the twelve. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So let's first look at that misunderstanding of what the verse actually means. Many people interpret the cross to be 
taken up as a burden or you have to carry a cross literally. To live a life that is strained, thankless, or that you carry some sort of physical ailment. It's living a life of virtually self-pity. And it is diff and it and difficulty in that life believing that that's my cross to carry. I don't know about you, that's, that's that's a struggle for me. But I don't believe at all that's what it means. In that time, Christ cross-bearing meant death, a crucifixion by the Romans themselves. It would be called a horrific death to be nailed to the cross, stripped naked before everyone, and it could it could be hours and sometimes even days before the ultimate death on the cross, bearing how the Romans would do that. Now, I'll never forget this movie, so I watched a, a long time ago two things. Number one, I remember John Wayne in a movie talking about what it looked like for a man to hang, and he says, I have only one word for it. He said it was ghastly. And I think that, too, that word would really fit as I think about crucifixion. I'll never forget when I saw the Passion of the Christ for the first time, and I saw what happened to Jesus as he hung on the cross. I'm not sure a word of horrific or ghastly could actually describe how I felt in that moment. But that's how it was. That's what the cross meant back at the time of Christ. I don't know about you, but but bearing that kind of cross doesn't want me to sign up or get in line. I'm sure it doesn't for you this morning as well. Today, we don't see those kind of deaths today. Obviously, men have, man has thought of other ways or some other just ways to do gruesome uh, killing in order to kill another man. All of this death is physical. The body dies. If you've ever been to a hospice or ever watched somebody who is about to pass away, death looks a little different. Our, body, our bodies literally fight to live and fight for the last breath. It was at the garden that a man failed God and ate of the tree of life, an evil that condemned men to die a physical death. And ever since then, death has been on the planet and everything dies from that. Today, over 2,000 plus years from that time of Christ was crucified, the cross looks much different, much different for us today. Matter of fact, it's considered a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. Most churches will have it on a steeple of their church or exposed on the side of their building. Some will have it, matter of fact, in the very fronts of their worship center so everyone can see the cross and why they're there. I actually believe that is a good thing. I think we should always keep the cross in front of us, and it should be always in the midst of a church. That is why we go. We go to church because we know that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. I have never felt from the Lord to carry a cross around my neck. Some people do. It's their way of cross-bearing and living a separated life, separated life from the world itself. Each of us, each person has a choice on what that looks like. What I do, though, is expose the cross on my rearview mirror. It reminds me each day when I get in what the cross means to me and the price that was paid for my salvation. It's simply a reminder. And I and maybe today you're trying to figure out where, where do you lay that cross, and maybe that's something for you to possibly consider. It's simply a reminder to me of the price that Jesus did. But let's look at point number two this morning. It says this, are you a fan or a follower of the cross? And I want to show you an example of that. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 18, looking at verses 18 through 22, and this is what it says. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, 
he was instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. Then one of the teachers of the religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Another of the disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Man, it almost seems kind of cruel of what Jesus said if we actually looked at But let's dig in a little bit deeper this morning so we can get a better understanding of what Jesus was actually saying. See, Jesus instructs his, his disciples to get into the boat and cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This is about a 30-mile, excuse me, a 13-mile trek to the other side. On a calm day, this would not have been a difficult journey or a boat ride for them to do. I've seen the Sea of Galilee, and you can easily see the other side of the sea itself. It's like, for example, it's like Lake Red Rock in comparison in size. You can see all sides for the most part, and that's very much how the Sea of Galilee is. It says that that day great crowds follow Jesus. When things are going well, everyone wants on your boat. If you're successful, that means you, they are successful. It's kind of like Starbucks. People who, who sure like their coffees, but, but have left the coffee, even though it's expensive. You can buy a, a, a cup of Starbucks coffee, a small cup, and you'll spend approximately four bucks for it. But if you go to the local Casey's or to a local convenience store, that same cup of coffee, even though it's not Starbucks, will be about two bucks for you to get that cup of coffee. It's a stigma or a success. If I'm carrying around that Starbucks cup in my hand, some people take that, that's making an image. That's something that means success. That's creating something of who they are. I think that's where what the teacher of religious law was looking for. Jesus is loved and the people gather around him and that's what he was desiring. He wanted a free ticket to get on the boat. But the truth of the teacher of the religion was he wanted more. He was more of a fan than he truly was a follower. Now I'm going to show you some examples about that this morning, about what it means to be different. Are you simply a fan or a follower of Jesus? See, fans strive to get a blessing. Followers strive to be a blessing. See, the term blessing refers to an evidence of God's favor in someone's life. Followers realize they have been already been blessed. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 1 3, it says this with every spiritual blessing in the in heaven is places is placed by Christ. That continually realize that grace and blessings they have already have and they've already received is free to them, and they are blessing others. In that same thing. You, they are focused on serving people and always aware of opportunities and see people in the same light. They don't have an on and off switch in their life about the gospel of the gospel message. It's always ready. And that's what happens. Fans, fans already, they're looking for a blessing, but the follower has already re realized again that they've been blessed. And I can say that in my own life. I have been blessed amazingly. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that when I'm around other people that God allows me to be a blessing to them as well. Here's the second one if you look at fans versus a follower. Number two, fans dabble, followers are all in. 
Nothing exemplifies a follower more than, than surrender. A follower that follows the leader who leads and not only follows, but does exactly what the leader says. A follower is always is serious about following and doing the commands that Jesus said. They do evangelism, they desire for others to come to Christ, and they're not afraid to get out of their comfort zones. I think that's true, isn't it? A follower is all in. It's important for us today that it's easy for us to get in comfortability as Christians and just go through the motions of our faith. But if we're truly a follower and we're all in, that means that I'm not afraid to go ex- past the means of comfort of my own life. I'm willing to do that even to get into the, the, the space of another person who doesn't know Jesus Christ himself. I think oftentimes when I go to church, when I'm headed into church and I live out in the country, I wonder as I travel how many people in the countryside that I see go to church. I think that every Sunday, do they go to church or they don't go to church? And and, and times today it's a little bit different when you go to a person's house because it can actually be offensive to someone. So you really want to make sure that you're doing it the right way. But what we can do is when we see people out in public and we get out of places where there's not uh, what I would call boundaries that are considered and you get an opportunity to speak to someone... Don't be afraid to speak with them. Don't be afraid to ask them to come to church. Don't be afraid to do what God is calling you to do. And I think that's what it means actually to be a follower and live a life that's all in. Here's the third one. Fans believe that they have it all together. Followers know they are a work in progress. To know that we are a broken people is to recognize our desperate need for Jesus in our life. See, salvation is part of it, but not all of it. The closer and the deeper we get to Jesus, the more we realize our inadequacies and that we are in a a desperate need for him to work in our lives. This helps us to be be dependable upon Holy Spirit and the work that he does and to realize that in our lives. We realize that prayer is a critical in our lives and we radiate the selfless love with other people. I think... Sometimes Christians sometimes will come across that they've arrived. They've arrived in sainthood. That all of a sudden that they know exactly where they are and that it's just, they're pious. It's it's not someone that you really want to hang around with. And I don't know about you. I would rather hang around broken Christians because they know that the only thing that is good in them is Jesus himself. And I think about that every morning when I wake up and I look in the mirror. I realized my desperate need for Jesus, that my depravity could overtake me at any given time. It's only by God's grace that I am saved. And I think that's important for us to realize in our lives. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here. And we got to look at, are you a fan or a follower? See, in essence, in essence, Jesus was telling the religious teacher, if you follow me, you will want to leave everything that you hold and you will and it will be given up. You will leave your comforts of your home and live and sleep in a tent or under the, under the moon itself. If you follow me, that will require for right priorities in your life. Your greater concern in life will be to give life to the spiritually dead as to waiting for the family member to die. Following me is a lifelong journey. This world has nothing to offer. we got to realize that as Christians. This world has nothing to offer. It's only Jesus and his life that matters. But let's keep going. Point number three this morning. 
Living the crucified life means living a new life. And I want to show you that this morning in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And I want to, I want to show you the story of how Matthew came to be a follower of Jesus himself, starting with verse 9 out of Matthew 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifice, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who knew who know they are sinners. I love this story here. Oh, but let's 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 look into it a little bit more. Jesus does something unmanageable. He does this. He goes and he calls a a, a notorious sinner, a tax collector, who was a Jew who was working for the Romans as a tax collector, and Jesus asked him to be one of his followers. See, the Jewish people loathed Jewish tax collectors. Most were cheaters and worked for their own gain. They were like the IRS agents of today, the tax man. But see, Jesus is not a traditionalist. He sees something in Matthew that day that I think Matthew couldn't. He says, hey, Matthew, follow me. Be my disciple. For some reason, Matthew does not hesitate. He does, he does, I like this, he does live action in the moment. He's up, he closes the door of his tax shop, locks the door, and walks away forever as being a tax collector. No looking back. Like the prophet Elisha, he burns the plow and cuts up the oxen. See, folks, Jesus loved on sinners and that says something for us today that they could see it that they couldn't see in themselves don't you understand what i'm saying today we need to see people who have who are who are uh straight away or are sinners living in a different life see the pharisees they couldn't do that matthew has a party and asks jesus and his disciples to come he asks other tax collectors and disre- disreputable sinners When you're truly not a follower of Jesus and you're more about religious law, you look down on people and you won't hang with them. See, I think that's why I liked so much when I had the opportunity to go to the Newton prison. See, bringing the good news of the gospel to the broken men who were locked up. There wasn't a time I didn't go into that place, into the prison itself, that men did not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. I loved hanging out with those men. Men who had, I'm just going to say it, these men who had robbed, men who had killed, they're gangbangers, drug sellers, all these all these things was the reason why they were in prison. They needed Jesus and many came to Christ. Men who needed Jesus and asked the Lord to be their Savior. Holy Spirit helped me to see them what they couldn't see in themselves. That was the call. That was the key of the whole thing about prison ministry as seeing what could be instead of what society said and what they had done in their lives. Yes, their consequences played out. They were in prison. 
But someday, some of those men were going to be free men. And I hope that by what, through the ministry, that that would be changed lives from that. See, Jesus saw something that Matthew and his, and his friends couldn't see. A hope and a future. A life renewed. Jesus didn't come to earth for healthy people, but for those who were sick and lost and needed a physician. See, the Pharisees, they couldn't get it. They were all hung up about giving sacrifices to God as to showing mercy to the lost. All their righteousness could not get them into the kingdom of heaven. They could not see their own sin and ask Jesus to be their Savior. They could not. It was all about religion. See, living the crucified life is showing mercy and grace to people who don't deserve it. The lost, the broken, the followers of Jesus aren't afraid of hanging out with sinners. They see it and and have an opportunity to see the lost. See, I think it's so important for us this morning to see what can be instead of what other people do. A.W. Tozer, he says this. I think it says the best. Those who seek the deeper Christian life and those who want riches that are in Christ Jesus the Lord seek no place, no wealth, no things, only Christ. I think that exemplifies and helps us to get a glimpse this morning of what it means to live the crucified life. I pray that this morning, as we get ready to pray this morning, that if you those listening to me, that you look at what it means for you. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Christ? You can't be one or the other. You have to make a choice. Which will it be? Are you just going to be a fan and just put your big toe in the pond of the water? Or are you going to be a follower and you're going to take the big plunge and just jump in? I hope this morning that encourages somebody in my voice. You know what? Mike, I'm going to plunge in. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm tired of being a fan, and I'm all in. And that's what it means, folks, living the crucified life. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, again, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you for the opportunity of understanding what it means to live a crucified life. I pray today, Father, that some of those that are listening on my voice even today will make a choice not to be a fan anymore, but jump headfirst into the water and be a follower of you, Jesus. I believe by faith that's exactly what you want. They can be filled by Holy Spirit. They have a renewed life, and they'll have hope and direction of what the future has for them, because I believe that with, with That's what you've done in my life, and I believe that's what you want to do to those that are listening to me even this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for what you did. We thank you for the work on the cross that, yes, you did. You did bear the cross for our sins. We should have been the one on the cross, but you took on our sins and took uh, took on a horrible death. You were put into a borrowed tomb. You rose from the dead three days later, and then you went 40 days later into the ascension and now sit at the right hand of the Father. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. And we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Folks, be encouraged. We've got one more uh, teaching series on what it means to live a a life of a disciple in which Jesus said, follow me. I'm Mike Serig, the voice of Vital Ministries.